So we've been going through uh, the book of James, and we're going to look at some passages that are in the last two chapters of the book of James today, so in chapter 4 and 5. And if we could summarize the overall theme that we've seen that has been woven throughout this book, um, it's been the importance of looking to and leaning on the wisdom of God in every situation that we come to, rather than relying on our own wisdom, right? We look to the wisdom of, of God because he's, he's wiser than us. And whether that's in relationships or uh, how we speak to people or uh, whatever we need God's wisdom in, we look to his wisdom over our own wisdom. We look to his help. So as we dig into these last two chapters, um, I want to try to connect the dots a little bit and kind of tie all the things together that we've, that we've talked about these past couple weeks. And I want to focus on two things specifically. Um, and I, I think they, they jump out here at the end. Um, but I don't think we do these things super well. And so I want to highlight them. The first one is patience. And the second one is prayer. So uh, all of you have probably, you've seen my daughters or interacted with my daughters um, at some time or another, uh, and they test my patience daily, as most parents would say. They test my patience daily. Um, and they just don't like to listen. That, that is what I've found. Like, is the heart, they're at that stage, especially my middle child, London. She has tested my patience more and more uh, recently, and I, Elise and I were talking about it the other night of like, man, I don't feel like we had as much of a tough time with Arwen as we did with London in some of these areas. Um, like a simple thing as like going going potty, it, it, something that we do every morning, which I think most people do. It's not out out, out of uh, the norm. Is we ask our girls to go to the bathroom as soon as they wake up. They go to the bathroom before they go to bed. Well, London has just refused. Like, that is just, I don't know, something has gotten into It was never a problem before, but now it is. And so, London, you need to go potty. No. And just, and just like, just looking at me like stone cold, just no. And so, uh, I'm just, I'm constantly tested in the patient's department. And even in the morning and the night, it couldn't matter where it was. And then, sure enough, you know, She's already potty trained. She's, she's fully potty trained. But sure enough, we, you know, we'll see after I have told her multiple times that, hey, maybe she needs to try to go to the bathroom. Then it's, you know, and, and it's too late. And so um, just, just one of those things where I have, you know, most parents can attest struggling with um, testing patients daily. And the funny thing is I, I get the feeling that we do that to God a lot. Like we have this war inside of us, and we naturally want to rebel away from what God wants us to do. And I know it's funny to use an example about going potty and um, how, what God wants us to do. But honestly, we have this, you know, nobody taught my daughter that. I mean, she probably picked it up from other kids at school. But like she has this natural tendency to want to rebel, just like we all have that natural tendency we were born with this tendency to want to rebel away from what God wants from us. And we all know this struggle. And so when we look at 
verse 1 in, in James 4. It says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder, you covet, and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So James is is pointing out our carnal and rebellious tendencies that we all have within us, right? And if we build off what we talked about last week, we admitted that we all used our words to hurt others deeply. And scriptures tells us that what we say reflects what's in our heart. So James is saying we've been talking about our actions, we've been talking about doing good with those actions, the whole first three chapters, and how we need to press into the wisdom of God. And here he's giving us the ultimate why. He's boiling it down for us. And we all have this rebellious, sinful nature inside of us that is fighting to take over our minds, our words, and our actions. We've seen that many times, and Paul references that in Romans, where we have this this desire to do what is good, but we also have this desire within us to do what is bad, and we have this war that's waging inside of our hearts and our minds. But in verse 4, James says, you can't give over to those worldly desires. In verse 4, he says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is an enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Friends with the world. What James is saying here is we don't adopt their ways. You look at Jesus and he was surrounded by so many ungodly people and so many worldly people. But his goal and his identity ultimately remain the same. In other words, Jesus wasn't shaped by the world. He shaped the world. Can we say that about ourselves? That we are, we are shaped by so many things in this world, are we not? By the, the, the music that we listen to, the shows that we watch, the things that we read. We're shaped by so many things. But how many of us can say that we actually shape other things within our sphere of influence? Jesus remained true to his identity no matter what. The, per- the person and the places or the things that he was around, he affected. And then he goes on to give us instructions. So this is the practical way to conquer this war, this, this battle that's raging on within us of the influence of the world that's wanting us to, to give in to these evil and sinful desires. In verse 6 it says, But he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. 
So resist the devil and he will flee. What does that mean? What does that mean to you? I came up with kind of my own definition of it. Don't put yourself in circumstances where the devil can get a foothold in your life. Don't put yourself in circumstances where the enemy can influence you, where he can get a foothold. So if you struggle with alcohol, you probably shouldn't meet your friends at a bar. If you struggle with pornography, you probably shouldn't stay up after your spouse has went to bed and be scrolling your phone when you're tired. If you struggle with anger, you might want to be more aware of your triggers. The reality is, the devil knows your weaknesses. He knows your temptations, and he knows the places that he can get a foothold better than you know them. And once we allow the enemy to have a foothold in the battle for our mind, our words and our actions, it's a slippery slope. We saw that all the way back in, in James chapter 1. I'm going to recap that. It says in James chapter 1 verse 14, it says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. We've seen, we see all over Scripture that the devil wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But James just doesn't tell us just to resist the enemy here. Right in the next verse, what does he say? In verse 8, he says, Draw near to God, and he will what? Draw near to you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You know, one of the most frustrating things uh, that I have heard, uh, all of us have heard many different things that people say that they think are in Scripture, right? That they've said it for so many years, they think, oh yeah, the Bible says this, and then they find out, hey, that actually wasn't in Scripture. That was just something that you, you know, you heard, but... You actually thought for so long that it was in Scripture. And so how many of you guys have ever heard uh, the saying, God helps those who help themselves? Have you heard that? Do you, what's the Bible reference? Nobody's got it? First parentheses is what Aaron says. Um, <laughs> I, I, actually, so I actually looked up this phrase, because that, that's like a frustrating thing for me because I'm like, People say that all the time. And so all of you guys have raised your hands. You've heard people say it. So I actually looked up this phrase, and its origins are actually from ancient Greece. And the original phrase is, the gods help those who help themselves. They were talking about like the Greek gods. And so what the Bible says a multitude of times is not, is not that God helps those who, who help themselves. The Bible says that God helps those who call on his name and ask for his help because they have given up trying to rule their own life. Psalm 145, 18. I'm going to give you some, some references here. It says, The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. 
Jeremiah 33, 3, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Psalm 50, verse 15 says, call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will honor me. Psalm 86, 7, when I am in distress, I call to you because you answer me. And Romans 10, 13 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I want to jump into to chapter 5, and I, I encourage you to read the rest of chapter 4, just for the sake of time. Um, we're going to jump into chapter 5, but the rest of chapter 4 talks about humility and kind of continues in the same vein that we've been talking about, which is how we can love and treat others. So we're going we're gonna to go to, to verse 7 in chapter 5. It says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early, early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Verse 9, it says, do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So he, James is saying in this last chapter, he's saying, I want you to do two things. All these things I've told you, all these practical ways, they've been about doing, and they've been about works, and about character, and how you treat others, how you speak to them, and those are all important things. He says, but here are my, my two final things. And I actually, um, I learned this this week, that um, the book of James, it was so practical that it was almost not used for the canon, because it has such a practical um, uh, base for it of do these things, you know, treat people this way, act this way. But it was really these last two chapters, and specifically this last chapter um, in chapter 5, that they just thought really needed to be in there because it does talk a, a lot. It switches the gears a little bit about patience and prayer. And uh, that's the first one is, is being patient. Putting these things to practice takes patience. That's what James knew. When he wrote all these things in the beginning, in the first three chapters, he said, ultimately, these things are going to take patience in order to, to, to put to action. I would say on a daily basis that patience is probably one of the most important lessons that God is trying to teach me. Would you agree with that for yourself? That patience is something that God is always trying to teach us. And the best way we learn patience is often through suffering. He says, look at all those prophets of God. Look at all of them. We consider them blessed because they were patient and steadfast through trials and temptations. We've even see, seen in the, in the first part of James where it talks about how suffering will, 
will produce perseverance. It will produce patience. All of these things that we need that God wants to give us. But we've got to ask him for patience. And when you, when you ask God for patience, he will test you. You, you, got, you might have prayed that prayer before, right? God, just give me patience. And then there's going to be opportunities where he's going to allow you to, to grow in that patience and grow in what he's wanting to, to teach you and what he's wanting to train you in. Um, it, it's interesting. My, uh, my mom was having a, a hard time. I've heard this story a, a number of times. My mom was having a hard time uh, conceiving. This was before I was born. And uh, she was talking to my uncle, who or my, he would be my great uncle, and he has um, since passed away, but she was talking to him about just the frustration and how it was so hard for her to conceive, and she was just really uh, just distraught and, and really depressed about it. And so he asked um, just about if she had asked God to, you know, to, to help with that. And she said, yes, I keep praying for patience. And he said, well, don't pray for patience. Pray for a baby. <laughs> God was, she was being patient long enough. And God, God was continuing to, you know, to grow her in that patience. Um, but God will. He will test you in a good way. And he will allow your patience to grow. And number two is Prayer. Prayer is so, so important. In verse 13, it says, Is any one of you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. When's the last time you asked somebody for prayer? When's the last time you prayed for somebody else? These things that that James has put in here are tools to allow us to be practical about the first three chapters, the first four chapters that he's talked about. He says these two things are super important if you want to follow through. And that's the song that we just sang. Asking God to draw near to us. When's the last time that you've asked God to be near to you? That you've truly asked him? And it may not even be you that feels far from God. It may be others. When's the last time you asked God to draw near to others? There's a, uh, there's a quote that I was given um, earlier this week from a friend it's from uh, John Mark Comer. And it says, Do you know someone who is far from God? What face is coming to mind, even now as you read? Whom has God put in your life to love and serve? 
Where has God placed you in a relationship with people who are lost? If you want more of God, give Him away. If you want more of God, give Him away. So we have two things, patience and prayer. Those are two powerful things that we can constantly be practicing. Everything that we've talked about up to this point in this whole series, it means nothing if we don't have those two things. And that's how God's going to allow us to be transformed and to start working on our actions, start working on the, the character, start working on our words of how we say things to other people. Ultimately, we know where God wants us to be. It's drawing near to Him. So as we look at, in the future weeks, in the future months, taking some of the practical steps that we've talked about, leaning into, pressing into God's wisdom, pressing into His presence, helping Him to allow us to control our tongues, control the words that we speak to other people. Remember the way that we get there. So asking God to give us the patience with other people, give us patience with people that are made in his image, and to pray for other people, genuinely pray for other people. And those are two tools that we can continually be using throughout our life. It doesn't matter how young you are or how old you are. Those are always things that we can work more in. Let's pray. God, we thank you for, for who you are. That you have allowed us to, to dig into your word and allow it to change us, God. God, I'm asking just selfishly and personally, would you just continue to transform my heart? To draw near more to you, to be more like you. God, it's easy to try to put those, those practical things, those lessons, so to speak, to work in our life. <clears throat> But we can't do it without pressing into who you are. We can't do it by ourselves, God. So ultimately, as we <clears throat> look at what we can take from this book of wisdom, help us to press into your wisdom and not our own. Help us to draw near. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.